You are listening to the Cycling Podcast at the 2022 Tour de France Fan, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Stage 5, today we read Salier des Vosges. That's your 17th victory this season. Can we say you're the best printer in the world? Well, if you're saying it, I don't like to say it for myself, but uh, yeah, I felt today again strong in the sprint and I'm happy to deliver this sprint after a long stage. Today you were the, the green jersey, which is Marianne one, but this is the main goal of the end of the week. Today you score many points. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's still uh, a goal to get a green jersey uh, and also to keep the GC with Juliet. She's also riding really strong and today was really a team effort and that's the most important. Well, we're starting tonight's podcast with another question. Is Lorena Weebus the greatest sprinter? Rook, what do you think? It's a a big question. Greatest sprinter right now? I guess so, yeah. I'd say, yeah. Greatest sprinter of overall? That has yet to be determined. Mm, Lizzie? Well, I'd have to say that Mark Cavendish is the greatest sprinter of all time, really. But I would say Lorena Vibas is the greatest women's sprinter right now. There you go. That concludes the tonight's podcast. Uh, thanks for joining us. Now we've sorted sorted that uh, question out. Of course, another uh, em- really emphatic win from Lorena Rebus um, tonight uh, on stage five of the Tour de France fam. Uh, but, well, tell us about where we are, Rook. Where are we? Can you remember? <laughs> where are we? Um, I actually don't know where we are right <laughs> <laughs> this is completely blank. What day is it? What country? It's, uh, we're in uh, San Diego. That's right. Um, or who? Uh, one of uh, our American colleagues who I was listening in on. Uh, he was recording something, and he called it uh, San Die de Vosges. If it's easy to remember that way, then that's how <laughs> you remember. But uh, we, you know, sitting. It's uh, a bit of a bit of a funny kind of place. We're you know right by a beautiful river. We're obviously in the Vosges uh, region, which is uh, beautiful. You can see the kind of hilly uh, surroundings, which uh, gives us a little kind of inkling of what is to come very soon. Uh, but we've just uh, actually right on the finish line here, aren't we, Rook? Yeah, this, we are. This is exactly where the race finished. Um, so we do get wafts of portaloos and... Uh, <laughs> Gates being moved very noisily. Um, so it's not it's not all glamour here on the Tour de France fam, is it? No, definitely not. No, and not tonight, for sure. Uh, but uh, Lizzie, why don't we find out about what happened in, in tonight's stage? Shall we get on with that? Let's hear your tale of the attack. Stage five, rolling out from Bardeluk. The women's peloton faced the longest road race of the season with 175.6 kilometres of gently rolling road standing between them and Saint-Dié-des-Vosges. Having spent the last four days setting their own legs on fire, the bunch was more than happy to let the first two escapees of the day get up the road. Anya Liu of AG Insurance and NextG kicked things off with Emily Newsom of EF Tibco SVB hot on her heels. Human-powered health, having realised they'd stuffed up, chased the pair, enabling Antri Christopher Roux, the Cyprus road race champion, to jump across with Victoire Boto of Cofidis. A long day ensued for both the break and the wearied peloton, as up ahead the quartet built up a maximum gap of 3 minutes 30. With only four points available in the mountains competition, the polka dot jersey was safe on the shoulders of Femke Heritzer for yet another day. But with Lorena Vibers taking fifth place behind the break at the intermediate sprint, she was chipping away at Voss's green jersey lead. 
measured riding from DSM and Trek Segafredo steadily halved the gap by 45 kilometres to go, when a touch of wheels in the front third of the bunch on a fast section of road brought down nearly half the peloton in a shocking mass pileup. It was Emma Norsgaard of Movistar, the critical right-hand woman to Van Vluten, who came off worse, having to abandon the race due to visibly excruciating pain in her shoulder and neck. A long chase ensued for the throng of riders requiring medical and mechanical assistance, Chantal Vandenbroek Black riding along with blood dripping down her arm. The human-powered health car, behind the brake and ahead of the carnage, stopped on the side of the road to allow the peloton to pass and handed Barbara Malcotti a bike from the side of the road. Shortly after came the news of Malcotti's disqualification due to irregular repairs. Nearing the finish now, the brake swept up the seconds on the bonus climb of the Col de Haute du Bois, whilst Bertou and Christopher attacked their companions to try to foil the bunch. But the peloton were hungry for more, sweeping up the remnants of the brake at 2.4 to go and coming in hot for a dash to the line. A right-left chicane of 400 to go saw Longo Borghini miss the corner and head left for the moto exit, with Voss just squeezing past her to her right. Maria Giulia Confalonieri was the first to take up the sprint, but as a blur of green, yellow and rainbow jerseys engulfed her, it was the lean, mean sprinting machine of Lorena Vibers who stormed to the line to take her second stage victory ahead of world champion Elisa Balsamo and the yellow jersey of Mariana Voss in third. No change in the jersey competitions heading into tomorrow, but with Voss taking another four seconds on the line, she stretched her GC lead to 20 seconds over Persico and Nibiodoma tied on time. Voss also retained the green, but with Lorena Vibers winning the stage, she closed the gap to just 191 points behind Mariana Voss's 217. Victoire Berteau was awarded the combativity prize, Heritza retained the polka dot jersey, and SD Work stayed atop the team classification. A nine-second loss for Longo Borghini in her navigational error, and 51 seconds for Elise Shabby, who crashed with 2k to go, were both nullified to zero after the finish, meaning no change in the top 10 on the general classification, heading into stage Six from Sandy des Vosges to Rosheim. The cycling podcast at the 2022 Tour de France Femme, powered by Super Sapiens. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real time glucose data, actionable insights, and personalized analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. Thank you very much to Super Sapiens, the title sponsors of the Cycling Podcast and the Cycling Podcast Feminine and all our other shows. And in large part, it's thanks to Super Sapiens year long sponsorship that we are able to have the team out in France covering the first edition of the Tour de France fam. So thank you very much to Super Sapiens. You can find out more about Super Sapiens and their system of continuous glucose monitoring at supersapiens.com. You'll have heard me talk about my experiences using the monitoring system and some of the things I learned about my my own diet and the way my body responds to certain types of food and the 
order I eat them and the time of day that I eat, um, particularly the gap between eating and exercising. Super Sapiens have launched their own podcast. It's the Super Sapiens podcast, naturally enough, and it's on all good podcast players. And one of their most recent interviews is with the cofferdist rider, Rachel Nalen, who's riding this Tour de France fam, of course. And in this little teaser from the episode, she's talking about her comeback from injury a few years ago. I didn't exactly deliver consistency. I was quite injured in 2013 and off the back of a big result, I thought I was superwoman and probably did too much and made some mistakes that, that off season. In 2014, had a bit more bad luck getting hit by a car and there was a fair dip in the roller coaster um, straight after that result. So that was really, really tough to manage mentally. Coming back to work with Brad McGee at the New South Wales Institute of Sport was a real game changer in the end of 2014 just gave me the stimulus and the challenge mentally and physically to be able to understand my body a little bit better and just manage my energy, um, manage my enthusiasm, manage my intensity and then manage the way that I approached my, my cycling career. To find out more about Super Sapiens, go to supersapiens.com. Do check out the Super Sapiens podcast. I think there's four episodes online now. Uh, Rachel Nalian is the most recent. And now it's back to the team in France. Hello, Rose. So on this stage five of the Tour Femme, you've been bar hopping. Well, you've been going from bar sur robe to bar... Le Duc, so from bar to bar. Well, you know, behave yourself a little bit. Anyways, Bar Le Duc. Bar Le Duc is an, it, the, so the start of today's stage is an interesting uh, town in the history of cycling because a, an engineer in the, uh, in the, um, from Bar Le Duc, Pierre Michaud, was the first man who had the idea to adapt a crank to the front wheel of a Dresienne. Dresienne were the ancestors, uh, the prototypes of the today's bicycles. And he, he was sort of the first manufacturer of a pedal cycle in back in 1862. So it's a kind of a, of an anniversary of, of sorts. Uh, 160 years um, after his invention, uh, we have a Tour de France femme starting from Bar-le-Duc. Uh, it, it took the Tour de France home uh, a long time to go to Bar-le-Duc because uh, actually they had to wait for 2001 to welcome the Tour de France. Uh, for a team time trial from Verdun and it was won by team Crédit Agricole uh, at the time uh, Stuart O'Grady was wearing the yellow jersey for the team um, well more recently uh, Bar-le-Duc was the, uh, the um, a finish of the Tour de l'Avenir in 2021 and Ethan Vernon won the stage um, well since we're of course in the Tour Femme, uh, we must note as well that Bar-le-Duc was the uh, um, birthplace of one of the best French track riders of the 1990s, Magali Humbert Faure, was twice medalist at the World Track Championships, and she was born in Bar-le-Duc 50 years ago. From Bar-le-Duc, we're, um, oh, that's a, a small little culinary um, uh, info there. Uh, the specialty of Bar-le-Duc is red currant jam. And I'm told that Winston Churchill and Victor Hugo, among others, were very fond of the red currant jam from Bar-le-Duc. The, the Finnish town today, Saint-Dier des Vosges, it's a little bit more known recently for uh, uh, cycling 
enthusiast because he was uh, it hosted uh, Tour de France home stages recently. But there's a very interesting little fact about Saint-Dié-des-Vosges. It's because this uh, small town in the Vosges gave America its name. Um, actually, there was a group of scholars uh, in Saint-Dié called the Vosges Gymnasium. Um, they were entrusted by Duke René II of Lorraine with the account of the expeditions of the Florentine navigator Amerigo Vespucci and the Portuguese maps he had made of the new continent they had discovered. And the members of the gymnasium decided to create a new world map incorporating these discoveries. And uh, a German cartographer who was working with these guys named Martin Waldseemüller um, well, he had the idea of calling the new continent uh, by the name of uh, the, um, the uh, Florentine, uh, Florentine uh, um, explorator Amerigo Vespucci, and that's, why, that's how uh, this new continent was called America. So it's all happened in San Diego, oddly enough. Uh, San Diego is also, well, famous for, I mean, some of the girls in the peloton will uh, be familiar with San Diego because uh, uh, it was actually on the route of the Route de France in 2010, and guess who won the stage that day? Marianne Voss won the race ahead of uh, Annemiek van Vleuten and Judith Hart. So, uh, I mean, so <laughs> obviously the two Dutch riders, the two, well, of course, the yellow jersey holder and the uh, one of the favorite for final victory well, are on, were on familiar ground today when they recently the Vosges have been, been there, well, already 12 years ago. Well, that's it for today, Rose. I'll talk to you tomorrow for a little bit more of French flavor. Thank you very much to uh, Francois Tomazo for giving us a little bit of local color. And I have to say, uh, you know, we try to go for a, a local beer here, but when we asked the waitress, uh, is this a, when she suggested what beer we should drink, which is called Meteor, we said, is it local? And she said, no, it's beer, <laughs> which is... <laughs> Well, don't worry, Rose. I've been uh, having the local cuisine for you. Uh, I actually just had half a plate of snails, although they're not really that local. They're from Bourgogne, so, but so they're not that far away. But um, yeah, I, well, know, fra- maybe France you're not going to be enough. too jealous that you've not had your dinner yet. If mine was, uh, you know, six snails and a piece of bread. <laughs> that's true. Well, the, the only thing that's still open in France after like nine pm is always just a pizzeria. Is what we've what we've discovered so far. We've had a, a pizza, a crepe. I can't remember what we did. Vietnamese. Vietnamese one night. Yet to have proper French cuisine. But it will come, it will come. As Francois said, the uh, Route de France visited 12 years ago here. Uh, Mariana Voss winning. She managed third, which is, you know, it is incredible to think that someone 12 years later can just only have only dropped down uh, two spots to and losing to Lorena Weber's who... You know, as we said at the top of the show, is she is the best sprinter in the peloton, uh, isn't she? What is behind her success, Rook? What do you think? Uh, well, she, she told me it's very plain and simple watts. She's been oh. doing a lot of uh, weightlifting and it's paying off for her. Uh, we, took, we took a little gander down Strava and, and looked at her numbers. And uh, uh, when I was a great racer, I only could have been envious of those numbers. She routinely pulls out, you know, upwards of 1200 1300 watts at the end of a long race like today which is pretty impressive yeah for that, that, that's massive for a road sprinter you know it's the kind of numbers that you expect to see for a track sprinter but you don't really see you know that much over 1000 really for a, for a female road sprinter at the end of a 
you know four or five hour race so it is absolutely massive and like you said Rook I mean she she looks like she's been in the gym as well and when I was watching the finish I was thinking I need to put her on 0.5 or 0.8 speed because her leg speed was just so much higher than everybody else's and she was just going and going when everybody else was beginning to tie up and she just she had absolutely bags of time to post up at the end of that sprint. She really did. I mean, coming into that finish and, and wearing all green, you know, you, you couldn't help but think about the Hulk. You know, she just like transforms <laughs> into this powerful sprinter and there she comes faster than anyone else with like 110 RPMs down the finishing straight. It's it's massively impressive. Now, I don't think anyone would have really doubted her. If he had gone to a bunch sprint, I think everyone would have said Lorena Wee was, was going to win. I don't know whether Elisa Balsamo would have agreed but you know she probably should have done it would have been a much safer safer bet but that's why I was kind of surprised Rook to see that uh, Trek putting some of their riders in front to help with catching the break uh, when Team DSM to me are are the one and only sprint team that are here well I'm I'm guessing they would uh, disagree you know they've got a really strong sprinter in the bunch and uh, getting a stage win in a in a event like this really helps confidence so I think they just wanted to get out there and uh, boost their own confidence and get a win under their belt before we head to the mountains that's true because we haven't seen a win from Trek what did you think of that that Lizzie because for me we were still such the out and out favorite that wouldn't it have been smarter for Trek Segafredo to have let them wear out all of their lead-out uh, train riders? It's not like it was a really, really strong break. It wasn't like a, a break filled with top World Tour time trialists, was it? So, you know, how did you think they played? You've hit the nail on the head there, Rose. And and that's the thing. So after the finish, Ina Teutenberg, the DS of Trek, was, was asked, do you think that the kind of navigational error of uh, Elisa Longo-Borghini affected Valsamo's place in the sprint? And she said, no, look, she's sprinting against the Renovibas. I think the second is really the best that we can ask for. So why in this stage where when we look at it, DSM is the only team lining up with a pure sprint train, really? Really, and they're the out-and-out favourites. Why didn't a lot of the teams go and put strong riders in the break in order to put pressure on DSM and actually have a real chance of success? If you think that your chance at the finish is not that high, but you really want to win, then you've got to think of a different tactic. And they could have put, you know, they could have put Balsamo in the break today. You know, L- look at Balsamo trying to sprint from a group because on GC she's she's nowhere. It doesn't matter. So they they had other options as well. They had Leah Thomas. They had Audrey Cordon Margot, Ellen Van Dyke. Any of those riders could have won from the break. And I think that you know we didn't really see any big teams in the break. I was surprised that. I think it was a missed opportunity, you know. The GC teams had no interest in chasing, and I think it's going to be the same again tomorrow. DSM want to win another sprint. GC teams want to keep their powder dry. So do something different. Like, if you want to win, if you want to beat the people that you know are the best, you've got to think of something tactical. You've got to play the game, and you've got to do something different. And I just find it so frustrating when, you know, people just kind of almost hand somebody else the victory. Well, obviously, the break came did come reasonably close. Um, I mean, it, it, it was never really in doubt that it would end up with a bunch sprint, was it? Because the, they had controlled it so well uh, through the, the whole day. But there was a, a huge crash. That was the other kind of big notable thing of the day. A huge crash, which did give the break, I think, a little bit of a reprieve. Uh, they maybe weren't caught as early because they were... I mean, it was a huge crash, wasn't it, Rob? It was massive. It's arguably one of the biggest ones I've seen. I mean, there must have been at least 50 people in there. Yeah. And uh, I think it was that uh, we're finding out that Martelac was kind of the first person to go down. 
Um, I've heard that there was like a, you know, a bottle on the road. But because she was c- kind of in the middle section of the peloton, it meant that uh, a lot of people uh, went down there, including uh, Emma Norsgaard. I mean, she, actually, it, what we can be thankful about, because there were so many riders that went down, that there weren't many that then had yeah. to abandon, which we can be mm. very, very grateful for. But one of the only rider that did have to abandon uh, tonight was... Uh, Emma Norsgaard. Now you know Emma Norsgaard very well, uh, Lizzie. I don't know whether you've spoken to her since um, her crash, but she'll be really disappointed. Yeah, she'll be absolutely gutted. But I think uh, more importantly, it's just you know whether her health is okay. And uh, I watched the replay, and she really went down hard. She flipped. She landed straight on her head, and then another rider then landed on top of her head on the floor. So. Um, She's a real tough nut, Emma, and to see her in that much pain at the side of the road it was pretty tough watching, actually. Um, yeah, I sent her a voice message because I was, I was concerned about her head injuries and she said, please don't look at your phone. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I doubt she'll even have her phone or, or her belongings yet because she'll have gone straight to a hospital that was near to the race, not necessarily one that was near to the finish um, because they still had 50 kilometres to go at that point. So no, it was, it was a real horror crash. But like you say, Rose... Um, I was involved in the crash in uh, in the 2019 women's tour where Mariana Voss actually her handlebars dropped and she hit a sign and she was the she was the third rider on the road and nearly the whole peloton went went down and in that crash we had so many DNFs so to only have one DNF in such a horrific crash to watch is is something to be grateful for but we really have to hope that Emma Norsgaard's going to be okay. We are of course dealing with a, a much bigger peloton than we're used to since we started the race with 144 riders which is significantly more than than we used to having uh, in a stage race. Uh, and of course, Emma Norsgaard, um, you know, apart from, I mean, she could have gone for this stage, couldn't she, as an excellent sprinter herself. She is, of course, an incredibly important uh, domestique for Annemiek van Vleuten and uh, her GC ambitions uh, this week. So let's hear from Sebastian Unzue, who is the manager of the Movistar women's team. Unlucky day. Uh, so far, the Tour de France has been a huge challenge for us. Every day is a new challenge, and today we have the incredible bad luck of losing Emma Norsgaard to a quite a bad crash. I, I think she will be fine. She was conscious when, when I got her into the ambulance. Um, she told me to tell her family and, and husband that she was okay, so um, she's okay. I think she's fine, but she had to go to a hospital because the heat she had in the head was quite bad and we need to be really cautious with this type of injuries now she's getting some scans and checks in the hospital and hopefully later tonight in the evening we will get some more info but that's pretty much all I can tell you a tough hit for us because she's a, an extremely important rider for our GC ambitions because she can be a, a very important support for Anemic in most of the terrains uh, but also for the stage ambitions that we had, like today, the idea was to go with her for the final and, and try to see if she could win the sprint. But uh, cycling is cruel. Uh, this is our sport. We need to look forward, hope that she recovers well and, and, and quickly. And I'm sure that we will see her in action quite soon. That was Sebastian Unzue. And uh, I, well, I should actually say that that was collected by my partner, Phil, and my baby uh, Tamsin who was 
strapped to him. So I, I, do, I should give him some credit this week for having done quite a few of the interviews uh, with a baby gut. <laughs> he like, should be giving Tamsin the credit, to be honest. Well, right? yeah, I mean, yes, t- like he's just the puppet and Tamsin's... Uh, the one that's got all of the psychic that, That's why he's getting all the interviews, you know, cute baby. I do think it's a little <laughs> bit of that, actually. It's kind of like, it's, a, it's an immediate uh, distraction, immediate way in, isn't it? Having a baby strapped to you. Can I borrow her? <laughs> <laughs> Making everybody's work a little bit easier and my work a little bit harder. But um, yeah, so that was uh, Sebastian Unzoe talking about... Um, Losing Emma Norsgaard, uh, the other kind of, well, I mean, there were so many riders that were involved in that crash, but notably uh, Sylvia Persico, who is still at second uh, on the GC. Uh, she was the only GC contender to, to uh, be caught up in that crash, wasn't she, Rook? She was indeed, and, and the fact that she only lost uh, an additional four seconds from where she was yesterday is, is pretty impressive. And that four seconds is actually from Voss's bonus uh, indeed, yeah. on the finish. So she managed to come back in in a perfectly reasonable amount of time. Let's uh, hear from Sylvia because uh, I've been trying to catch up with her on every day uh, because, you know, she's not a, a, a super familiar name to a lot of people. Um, but here's what she had to say. Uh, Sylvia, you uh, crashed today. How bad was it? How worried were you when you were behind? But uh, for sure uh, we crash in the uh, middle of the bunch, so I don't know how, but uh, I start early, so I'm happy because uh, I pain only are in my arms. And, and, um, and then I don't have my car, so I must wait. And when the car arrives, I change uh, my bike. Were you scared that you would lose time overall? No, for sure no. It was a long race, so I crashed after 130k, so it was long to arrive to the finish line. And how impressed have you been with your own performance so far at this race? But uh, for sure I was not here for DGC, so I'm happy uh, to be second, and for sure tomorrow I try to be the yellow jersey. And uh, I don't know how it can happen, but uh, I try. Are you not tempted to go for GC now, now that you're in such a good position? Yes, for sure. Now I don't uh, give up and I want to finish in the top 10. And, and how supportive have your team been uh, through your took the race so far? But uh, for sure my team uh, are uh, fantastic also today. Uh, they are all uh, close to me, so I hope that in the next day they stay close to me. So perhaps a little bit of a surprise there from Sylvia Persico because she's just saying that she wants to have the yellow jersey tomorrow. I mean, it, quite a, I mean that's quite a blatant tactic, isn't it, I have to say. You kind of know what she's going to be doing now. It's a little surprising indeed. I mean, um, I think most people picked her for uh, a pretty decent performance in the mountains and uh, who knows, maybe she's just a little fearful of them. Yeah, I mean, she did say that she wasn't going to go for GC but Lizzie if you were in that position would you be like uh, you know what I'm in such a great position on GC I'm just going to even though I wasn't going to come into this week going for it I'm going to go for it now I think there is no way that her team won't let her keep riding for GC when you've got someone in second you've got nothing to lose and you have to go well everything to lose really haven't you you have to go for it I don't think she knows what she's capable of yet she is improving you know almost every race she does um and you don't know what's going to happen to anybody else. Um, 
with random crashes, descents, illnesses, you just don't know. So I, I just don't think there's any way in hell that her team are going to not let her carry on riding for GC. Well, we'll have to see, won't we? See, see if she comes good on uh, going for yellow tomorrow. I mean, it's going to be uh, very hard to um, get Mariana Voss out of that yellow jersey, though, isn't it? But Mariana Voss is also leading not only the GC classification, but is also leading the points jersey, the green jersey. Um, although Lorena Weebus made up quite a lot of uh, points uh, today. So, you know, what do you think, Brooke? What's... How's that one going to play out? Yeah, it's an interesting one because uh, after stage one, when uh, Mariana did not win the stage, uh, I asked her, I was like, well, what about the green jersey then? You know, it's a pretty color as well. <laughs> Suits you. Um, and, uh, and she's like, you know, that really wasn't wasn't my plan. She, she went for the intermediate sprint there just to test the legs and see what the running was like. So it wasn't her... Um, oh, Ooh, that's a, a got nice. a dog fight in the a dog fight during the tour and a dog you fight see, I mean, on there, the streets. There is a huge, like almost like wolf-like dog uh, versus a tiny little fluffy white <laughs> dog. I mean, the uh, uh, the fluffy white dog doesn't even look like it noticed that that at happened all. at no. all. But yeah, Rook, sorry, but, you were saying um, about Voss. And yeah, the, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, she wasn't initially planning on, on going for the green jersey. Uh, and I think maybe now that she has two jerseys in her possession um, and looking at what's going to happen this weekend, I think she might go for it. The green one. Once, yes. once and if she uses the yellow one. Well, I mean, Lorena was made up. Uh, she gained 63 points today uh, versus Voss's 31. Um, and it's about 30 points that kind of separate them in the classification uh, at the moment, but Lizzie, you know, are there actually many opportunities for Lorena Weebus to uh, gain the green jersey? I should say, actually, Lorena Weebus, I noticed on the first day that she's had her nails done and she's had them done uh, two nails in each hand in yellow, three nails in each hand in green. So she's, she's, she's got to be yeah, going for it. Bold she is, yeah, she said yeah. those are the only two colours that mattered to me at this work. Ah, there we go. So, you know, the nails. She's kind of nailed it so far. Oh! Hasn't she? oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, looking ahead, it is quite interesting because I think if I were Mariana Voss, what I would want is I would want a strong breakaway to go tomorrow. I would want them to sweep up all the sprint points for the sprint point during the stage and also on the line. Because after that, we're looking to the two mountainous stages. On stage seven, the sprint, sprint point comes after your favorite rose called a Plaza Vassal. Mm, and then the only other real opportunity is stage eight, where we would expect an early break to go. And on stage eight, the sprint point is before the, the first climb of the day. So... The only real opportunities probably for either of them, I would say, are tomorrow. Because if we assume that Mariana Voss will hold the yellow jersey into the beginning of stage seven, which everything says that she should do, barring incident, um, then she's not going to be allowed to go up the road on stage seven, is she? So therefore, she's not going to be able to take those sprint points after the Col de Platz of Vassal. And then the only other opportunity is at the beginning of stage eight. So... Mariana Voss needs to get other people up the road. She needs to let the stage win go out the window if she wants to get these green, you know, if she wants to obtain the green jersey points. Because as we've seen, I think that she is only likely to concede points to Vibas if she leads it to trying to mop up those sprints uh, during the stage or on the line. It's true. You, you got to remember that Mariana Voss does uh, climb a bit better than Vibas. So 
when it uh, the early point on the on the last two stages may still be uh, available. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Well, the only other thing that uh, notable thing that happened today was uh, a disqualification. We don't get them very often, uh, but a disqualification for Barbara Malcotti of the Human Powered Health uh, Team. Uh, she was, as you said in your tell of the attack, Lizzie, she was disqualified for irregular repairs, which is a rather an unusual thing uh, to hear. The ruling that she was uh, contravening was 2.3.030. Whatever the position of a rider in the race, he may receive or she may receive, once we've overhauled the patriarchy, such assistance and mechanical check only to the rear of his, her, bunch, and when stationary. So that was the uh, the rule that the Human Powered Health uh, team contravened, and it meant that she was actually disqualified, Barbara was actually disqualified from the race. I mean, that seems pretty... Uh, well, tell us, what does that mean, Brooke? Because that sounds a bit co- confusing. Yeah, yeah well, what's interesting is that, so basically what happens is that when a, a rider has a mechanical of any kind, uh, or even just needs to do a mechanical check, she should drop back to the peloton and let her team car come up. Um, and then it's up to, you know, anytime there's an infraction, it's up to the commissaires in this case to set the penalty. And I think the question here is like, was this a just penalty? Like, do you find a team or do you disqualify a rider for something like this? Um, the team obviously was, was quite distraught uh, about losing a rider over something um, quite mundane, really. Um, the problem with women's cycling is that you're as a team, you only get one car instead of two team cars. And uh, at the time this, this incurred, the um, human-powered health car was up in the brake where they had one of their riders. And so to respond to um, Malkotti's aid, they had to drop back to the peloton, move over to the silent road, wait for her to come over, do the bike change, and put her back. And that's exactly what they did, except that Malkati had gone to the front of the pack that she was in, hoping to make a speedier change. And that's where the infraction occurred. Now, it's funny because I don't often hear about disqualifications for riders unless it's something like violent conduct. Uh, I mean, well, really, it's only violent conduct that you actually hear that there's been a, a penalty like that. I've, I mean, when I'm thinking back about past um, infractions, a lot of them have been about losing time. So I remember there was one when Julian Alaphilippe had to had to lose 10 or 20 seconds, and then he mm-hmm. was out of the yellow jersey. Uh, but I mean, this seems like a very harsh penalty, Lizzie, on a on a rider. I mean, because you know the the command is going to come from the team car, surely. Yes, it, it will come from the team car, and um, unfortunately, the rules are very strict, and they're, they're strict for a reason because um, it's safety here. I actually originally thought that that the contravening the contravened rule was two point three point zero two nine, which says that you're oh, not Lizzie, allowed. Oh, Lizzie, you're to such take... a nerd. How do you? Okay. Which says that you're not allowed to take a bike from a stationary point by the side of the road uh, and is also a disqualifiable offence. Um, and we've seen other riders be disqualified that for that before as well. And you'll remember back in the World Championships at Bergen, they had uh, you know, a specific mat where they were allowed to do static bike changes and you were only allowed to do it in that area. And that's because outside of that, you're not, it's not allowed. It's simply not allowed to do static bike changes. But... 
I think this rule is pretty clear. Um, the sanctions for this rule are also very clear in the UCI rules. It says that the, the sanction is for the rider. It's 500 euros, sorry, 500 Swiss francs, of course, and a disqualification. And I think that it is just a case of um, lack of experience, to be honest. Um, I, it is something that you know about as a rider and as a DS if you have had more experience. These things happen and... Um, yeah, you, you just know that you shouldn't do it. And I, I can understand in the heat of the moment, I can understand that it feels very, very unfair from Marcotti's point of view, especially as it was, you know, the decision of the DS and, and she then, you know, she wouldn't have really been able to kind of change that decision. It, it does feel unfair, but unfortunately rules are rules. And yeah, the, the only thing is on 2.3.030, the, the second bit of that rule says, in case of a fall, the implementation of this disposal is left to the commissaire's discretion. So given that Malcotti was involved in a fall, this, the commissaire could have used their discretion in this case to just give them a warning and maybe a 2,000 franc fine, a hefty fine, and use them as an example um, of having a big fine rather than a disqualification but um, I'm, I'm a little bit split on this one but I, I think that I think that yeah rules are rules and it was quite dangerous at the end of the day I mean I think that's the thing that I don't know whether the listeners will actually know but I mean, every day there were fines, aren't there? That, I every mean, every single day, yeah. Sticky bottles, yeah. feeding where you're not allowed to feed, littering where you're not allowed to litter, urinating in public. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, every day people get fines, and uh, on this very stage, Jolene Dora, uh, the DS, got got fined for doing illegal feeding. Um, Roland Kokias got fined four times over for not having the numbers displayed properly. I mean, they they happen every single time, and. Uh, I mean, personally, I think it was a bit extreme um, in that the the car was moved. I mean, they had to come drop drop down from the the breakaway, then moved as far right as they could. Uh, the, the the pack passed very safely on the left. Like nothing actually happened, and uh, she, like, like you said, she was involved in a crash. She had a broken shifter, which is why she called in in the first place. I think it was a bit harsh. I think they could have fined them and uh, mm. and moved on from there and just used it as a warning to everyone to say, hey, remember, these are the rules and, and move on. It almost feels like it was a bit of a reactionary response because there'd been such a horrific crash. And I guess in the wake of that, they felt that this was dangerous. And had there been another one of those crashes, they just didn't want to be something like that. And I wonder if it was, I wonder if it was kind of the fear of another of those horror crashes that precipitated this. Um, because... It is, it is dangerous to have the car parked up. It is dangerous to have a rider stopping at the front of the bunch. We sometimes see that when uh, riders want to stop for a wee, they'll accelerate to the front of the bunch and then they'll suddenly swing over. And it's dangerous because they suddenly stop and there's this ricocheting effect behind. And yeah, it, it, it can cause crashes. So I don't know. I, I really don't know what to think, but I, I do feel, you know, feel awful for Malcotti because... At the end of the day it wasn't really her decision yeah and and i mean for the whole team right she was she's a climber she would have done well in the last two stages and it just like to the team's morale i mean they were all gutted the s the, the s was crying makari was crying it was just a real bummer day for them yeah because i saw well you were there as well rook weren't you the uh the finish by the human powered health bus and malcotti was uh was really angry and frustrated um, and uh, I think that also came from the fact that there have been a few other sketchy incidents uh, in this sort of France fam. It hasn't been without uh, without incident 
uh, maybe on the side of the, the riders, perhaps uh, riding a bit dangerously or riding without care. Um, so I think that she felt really aggrieved that she would be punished for something that, that seems quite trivial. You know, obviously it's on a, in a wider structure of keeping everybody safe, especially involving uh, cars as well and the peloton. Um, but uh, she, obviously she was absolutely devastated. But while I was there, I caught up with Andy Bajadali, uh, who was the director at Human Powered Health and was the, uh, the, one of the DSs that was uh, in the car. Well, Andy, talk, talk us through the incident uh, that meant that Michael T was disqualified. Yeah, so, I mean, really, uh, we were up servicing Antry in the break, and uh, we were going to go back to the bunch anyways, and uh, at that moment, uh, maybe we were going to wait a few more kilometers with Barbara got on the mic and said, hey, my bike uh, is not working, I need a bike change. So, yeah, we made the call to pull over immediately, and we said, yeah, we'll, we'll pull over and give you a bike change. Uh, everything was really straightforward. Um, yeah, I got out of the car, Roth got out of the car with, uh, with Barbara's new bike. I took uh, Barbara's bike from her, uh, and uh, she she was given a new bike by Roth, and then uh, she went on her way. Um, I think the technical aspect of it was that Barbara needed to be at the rear of the bunch and not at the front of the bunch, and uh, you know, uh, and it could have been 30 riders back maybe, and it wouldn't have been a difference to the commissar, but it was at the front. Mark had brought her to the front to make it really efficient, and then. Uh, yeah, that was the technical aspect of her getting DQ'd. And, you know, like I said a, a couple times before that, in my opinion, uh, yeah, technically we were in the wrong, I think, but uh, within the rules, but uh, I think they could have shown their um, their uh, disappointment by finding us, finding the directors and, you know, showing that uh, we're the example instead of Barbara in sending her home. It's really devastating for her, for our team, uh, and our chances in the in the high mountains. He's one of our climbers, and uh, yeah, it's really hard. So, so it wasn't that the the car. I thought it was that the the car. Uh the rider shouldn't have uh, cycled up to the car. The car had to be behind. Is that not that's not the case? Yeah, the car needs to be behind the rider. Yeah, so it's uh, it's a it's a weird thing that that needs to take place, but. Because there's there's one team vehicle, we're kind of hampered by that. So, you know, what are we gonna wait at the back of the bunch and then change everything out and then drag her back up, you know, which in my opinion is, is more dangerous than what we did. Science in Sport is supporting the cycling podcast at the 2022 Tour de France FAM. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Thank you very much to our long-term supporters, Science in Sport, who reward all of our Cycling Podcast listeners with a 25% discount. The code, as everyone knows, I'm sure, is SISCP25. The website is scienceinsport.com. I know Francois has been, uh, has he been promising to croon the jingle, or has that been Rose uh, trying to persuade him to croon the jingle? I'm certainly not going to inflict my singing voice on anyone. Maybe one day we'll get Daniel to rap the code. I don't know. That might be uh, right up his street. Science and Sport, of course, have everything you need for your ride before, during and after, whether it's the hydro tablets to keep you hydrated, the beta fuel to keep you riding stronger for longer, 
energy gels and energy powders and of course the recovery products as well so go to scienceinsport.com and use the code SISCP25 well, it wasn't all bad today for Human Powered Health, was it? Because they did actually uh, have one of the riders uh, in the break was a Human Powered Health rider, and she was Antri Christofferu, which is, uh, and she's a Cyprus national champion. Now, you said, Rook, that in the press room, some people couldn't understand what team she was in or what <laughs> she was doing. Yeah, well, from, from you know the helicopter shot, uh, it just looks like she's wearing a white jersey. And the white jersey obviously um, signifies the young rider. And everyone's quite confused as to who was up the road and uh, why she was wearing a white. But yes, she is the Cyprus national champion. I haven't actually looked to see, because obviously the Cyprus uh, flag is white, but it's got the outline of the country and some green like laurel leaves or something. So I'm going to insult some Cypriots uh, who are listening, uh, no doubt. I didn't take a good close look at her jersey to see if she does have all the rest of that Yeah, stuff. yeah, me neither. I mean, from the helicopter, you just can't tell. It's just like a, a white jersey. But she was a great addition to have uh, in that break, and she stayed away almost... Well, she was the second longest, wasn't she, uh, away uh, in that break. But, yeah, shall we hear from her? Because I uh, caught up with her... Uh, find out a little bit more about her at the finish line. Well, Andrew, what a debut at the Tour de France fan. Yeah, it was a big day. I'm so happy that I make it to the good breakaway. Uh, we tried too much with my teammates the last days, and finally we did it. It was so important for me. Finally, I show my jersey and the, my flag of Cyprus. Uh, we was a we were a good group. We worked so well, and we almost done it. Almost. <laughs> and obviously, Cyprus is an, a country known for for having cycling uh, races at the top level. How important is it uh, to be out the front of the biggest race that there is on the calendar, wearing that jersey? It's very important. I'm feeling so proud that I can do it, and I'm fighting for this in every race. I am lucky because I have a team who trust me and they let me try things and I'm so happy and proud of Tell us about your journey to this race because uh, you weren't actually at Human Powered Health until uh, for this race basically. Yeah, uh, I changed team in June. Um, I'm very happy uh, that I'm racing with Human Powered Health. Um, it's very professional team, all the staff, the riders working so hard and I feel that they trust me, it's the most important thing for me and I feel that I can develop in this team and do a lot of things with them. I believe you're a mother as well, uh, do you know if your child is watching you at home today? Yeah, I hope so, no, he's, he's watching but I don't know if he can stay in front of the TV for so long. He's a boy, so it's difficult. <laughs> now, of course, Cyprus uh, isn't a country that's known for uh, cycling, uh, of course. And uh, the only thing that springs to my mind is that there is a women's race that some people go and do um, called Aphrodite Sanctuary, uh, which to me has always struck me as a great name for a gay nightclub. <laughs> so if anyone else wants to... Mosey on down to Aphrodite's Sanctuary. Yeah, <laughs> already there in Aphrodite's Sanctuary. Um, but apart from that, it's you know it isn't known uh, 
very much for its cycling prowess. Um, but Lizzie, you know, how great is it to have a, a, a country that is not very represented in the peloton for them to be out on the biggest showcase that there, there is at the moment? Oh, it's really great. And, you know, um, Christopher Roo has actually been riding really well this season. Before she joined Human Powered Health, she was with Team Fato BTC. Oh, uh, I, do you know I'm what? I'm sure I did, one I did of know your favourites. I did know this and I just thought, wow, a, a chance to get Team Farto into a proper podcast. <laughs> I will take that opportunity. And I'd actually forgotten it. So, Lizzie, thank you for reminding me <laughs> that that's where she came from. Well, she had a pretty amazing ride at the Ruta del Sol in Spain. And then she went to La Classic Morbihan and won there. So, mm. you know, she she is definitely an up-and-coming rider. And, well, well, she's sort of up-and-come already, hasn't she? I mean, having taken that 1.1 victory in Morbihan, which is a very, very difficult race. Um, and she just needs more opportunities like this. You know, perhaps if there had been a stronger break today, then she may have been able to take it all the way to the finish. And hopefully we'll see her... Um, you know, as a protagonist in, in, you know, some of the other breakaways or maybe on some of the hillier stages later in the race. I mean, that's the thing. That's, you know, what is so crazy is, uh, I mean, she is very good at good at time trialling, but uh, she's actually brought onto the team as they needed a bit more climbing power at kind of short notice. So she came in to fill that gap. So it'd be very exciting to see uh, what she did. Uh, and, the, you know, the mums were representing today in the break because uh, there was a, another mother of a seven-year-old uh, child uh, in the break today, and that was uh, Emily Newsom. And, and she'll be a, uh, she's a teammate of yours, Lizzie, isn't she? She is indeed. She's a, she's a great person, Emily Newsom. I love her. She's, she's so much fun. She's so level-headed. Um, she's come to cycling really late after being a concert pianist. Uh, she's got a seven-year-old daughter. She balances everything so well, her racing and training. The team's really supportive, so she's got quite a split program with being over in the US and then coming over to Europe for short stints so that she's able to go back and spend time with her daughter. Um, she's quite well-known for gravel racing, actually. She was third as she was on the podium at Unbound Gravel 200 last year. She was in the lead of the race when she punctured and then had an absolutely massive chase to get back to take third on the podium. So, yeah, she's a bit of a do-it-all rider, really. She's um, she's an absolutely great helper in a race like this where uh, EF, Tibco, SVB are all in for Veronica Ewers. Uh, you know her, Rook, don't you, because of her gravel racing prowess. You are a resident gravel expert. <laughs> I don't know if you knew that, that you were, but you oh are. Oh, my. Big shoes to fill. <laughs> Uh, they're not that big because we don't have another you don't one. have anyone uh, um, yeah yeah I mean I, I saw Emily obviously in Unbound where uh, I raced this year as well um, she's always very very strong and uh, yeah she's an absolute phenomenal uh, helper to have on this team and I, I, I think that yesterday was, was a bit of a fun day for her actually to be out on the gravel and, and uh, combine her two uh, favourite disciplines road and, and gravel into to one stage race well, let's hear from uh, Emily now, who is, uh, as you'll hear, delighted to find out that uh, there was another mum in the break. Emily, congrats uh, on getting on the break today. Uh, what was the feeling like being at the front of a race as big as this? Oh, I mean, of course, it's amazing. Yeah, I wasn't quite sure it was going to go because we dangled out there for a while. And it seemed like the peloton wasn't quite sure about it. But then finally, especially when two other women bridged, then it, we really got going. And did it feel like a much bigger race than other races that you've done? Oh, for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, the crowds are amazing. All the GPMs and all through the towns, everybody's just screaming and yelling. It's, it's so great. Like, even if you're hurting, which I really was, you know, it, it's just such a thrill. It doesn't even matter how you feel. You're just so excited to be there. 
Uh, and I believe you've got a, a son or a daughter? I don't know. A girl. Oh, a, a girl. A, how old is she? She's seven. Seven, because uh, Antri, who is the uh, Cypriot rider, also has a seven-year-old kid. What? Wait, which rider? The uh, Cypriot, this rider from Cyprus, uh, Antri from Human Powered Health. The one who was with me in the break? Yes. What? That's so cool. I had no idea. Yeah, she has a seven. I would have let her out for all the sprints. <laughs> like, yeah. mom's got to stick together. I was going to say, like, obviously, there must be a, a, a peak that mums reach when their kids are seven, maybe over the sleep deprivation. Yeah, yeah. And I've just got a baby myself who's here I'm, who's here uh, with me. But, yeah, is your, is your little girl, is she watching at home? She's watching at home, yes. Yes, she wasn't able to come, um, just, it was a lot to try to plan that, but she's watching at home with my husband, so she'll be excited, I'll call her later on. And she must be a great motivation for you when you're in a big race like this. For sure, because I mean, today, honestly, my stomach was pretty messed up, and it didn't affect my legs, I don't think, but I just felt nauseated the whole day. Um, so, you know, when my motivation would dip, I would think, oh, she's probably watching me because they were going to watch the race today and now she'll actually see me on TV. So I have to keep doing this. I have to keep going. That's very cool. And what are you expecting from the rest of this uh, race? Well, it's going to be pretty tough, the next three stages. We have an amazing climber, actually two, Krista and Veronica. So we'll do our best to help them and set them up and uh, let them loose when the climbing starts. Well, that was uh, Emily Newsom who was in the break today, and we're kind of thinking tomorrow uh, should be a, a possibly another day for the break. But this time, maybe the break will stay away. We can only hope. Absolutely, yeah. It's a it's great breakaway potential, and this is the last chance before the roads go really up as we head to the mountains. So it's the last chance for a lot of uh, the, the domestiques and for the non-climbers to show what they can do. Lizzie, I think you would have quite liked the look of tomorrow's stage, actually. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's not as hilly as it looks when you look at the profile. You look at the profile and think, well, it might be a challenging breakaway stage. But actually, it's kind of looks like it'll be similar today in terms of difficulty. Um, so it, it's just about having strength and numbers in that breakaway teams represented so that if you can put a team like DSM under pressure, if they're the only one that don't have somebody in the break um, and they're the only one with the initiative wanting to pull it back, it's kind of, you know, everybody else working against Lorena Vibas if they want to have a chance of winning from the breakaway. Well, that's it for tonight. Uh, we'll have to see what, what happens uh, after all tomorrow. You know, please join us again uh, tomorrow night for more of our daily coverage. Thank you very much, Lizzie. Thank you very much, Rose. And uh, thank you, Rook. Oh, you finished your beer. Sure did. A whole half litre of it. <laughs> yeah, right. We better get on and uh, get cracking, find somewhere uh, to eat. But uh, tonight we're going to leave you with uh, another Tour de Buffalo this time uh, from last year, uh, when I thought I would set Orla and Richard one of my cryptic criteria, which I haven't done this week. I know you like them, Lizzie. I do um, like them. And I haven't set any this week, but um, I'm trying to get, in a cryptic way, Richard and Orla to guess the name of the rider in the peloton. Please enjoy how they got on. The Tour du Buffalo, remembering Richard Moore. So... <laughs> Here it is. Let's see how we get on. When you propose to a woodland rodent, you give them a... Bloody hell. A knee squirrel. Ring. Not a knee. What do you give? Ring. Yeah. Ring. Yeah. Uh, squirrel. 
Not a squirrel. A uh, ferret. It's probably... I, I don't know what it looks like, actually. A, a, Anna Van Ring squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds really weird. <laughs> Who oh, does she write for? <laughs> Um, it's like it sounds a bit like fox, an animal spring that, fox no no an animal that goes underground and is can't Mole. see sounds Mole. like that ring mole ring what it's, um, a, it's another it sounds like ring mole other way round mole ring but a different Mulman type of Potsiel. rodent oh <laughs> what <laughs> uh, it rhymes it sounds with, like that <laughs> it rhymes with, with mole ring yes salting <laughs> No, no, no. Vollering. Vollering, yes. De- Demi, Demi Vollering. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, Vollering. Demi Vollering. Vollering. Oh, oh yeah, Now Rich is acting like... So now oh, that I did on, all the hard work, Richard just swans in <laughs> with his size 12. So, he was yeah. keeping very quiet there. You could see the concentration on his face just quietly. You could see his lips it. moving at the same time, though. He was, like, trying them all out. <laughs> Demi <Fox> Vollering. <laughs> Demi Vollering. Well done, Richard. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freed, and Lionel Burney.